Before we get started this morning, um, I want to invite you to something that I really believe you're going to, our church is going to be different because of it. Starting in the month of April, every Wednesday, you're going to start seeing this at the first part of next week on all the way in. First part of April, from every Wednesday in April, we're going to be gathering in this room at 12 noon and in the evenings. And we're going to send you all the information about it. We're calling it April Intercession. We have a lot of things on the horizon of our church, and it's important that we come together and pray. If you look at the New Testament in the book of Acts, what you notice, there was a habit amongst God's people. They were all the time praying together. They were just together praying, asking God to move. And so April intercession is our way of asking God's anointing and favor on things. Like, for instance, we have a land sale that we're right in the middle of. If, if, if it were a baseball game, we've rounded third and, you know, home plate's looking a, a little closer than it's ever looked before. That's, that's a big deal in the life of our church. It's the first time in Clearview Baptist Church's history that we'll, we'll be out of debt. For the first time ever in our history. That's a hallelujah moment, folks. It's a big deal, right? But we need, our finance team needs wisdom. Your staff needs wisdom. Our trustees need wisdom on what to do to navigate that. We're, we're going to be praying. We have a staff position to fill because the Lord has moved on, you know, Shane and Graham, and, and, and he's, he's put them in other places in the kingdom battle. And so we have, we have things we've got to pray over. And so uh, even, even for the summer, we have things coming to us great. For student ministry right now is doing great, and we have a big summer coming. We have, we have things our church needs to pray about, and, and we've all felt compelled to do it. So I want to invite you to April intercession. Now, <laughs> we're going to set that up at 12 noon for those of you that don't want to drive it night. Uh, you can come in here or you can come in the evenings after work, but I'm, I'm asking you to please make this a priority. Uh, this is not your typical prayer gathering. It will not be anything like that. Um, I'm asking you to come experience that. I believe it's going it, it's to do something for our church that needs to be done in the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to do one other thing. Uh, we're starting every Sunday. We've been doing this for about three weeks now. And every Sunday at 845, we come in this room. And what we do is we, we, we call it consecration. We go before God and we ask. Our, it's, our, it's our musicians. It's our staff. It's many of you. We've been seeing people come to that. And it, it makes worship different when you come ready to worship. So at 8.45, I want, to, I want to encourage you to start joining us in that. It does something different to your worship. We've seen God do an amazing work there. And on top of that, we've also noticed uh, that at 12 noon, our 12 noon time for extended uh, worship, it's, it's been neat. If you haven't been to that yet, you should get, give it a try because you might just see something you haven't seen. It's, it's one of my favorite forms of church, if you will. So uh, I, I encourage you to take a chance to look at that, okay? All right, let's get into the Word of God this morning, all right? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Uh, we're going to continue talking about the way of Jesus. And in Jesus' lifestyle, we've shown, seen that he had basically what I can see, six recurring habits. Uh, and here they are. One, uh, Jesus was always truthful. He always spoke the truth. He lived free. We're going to talk about that, what it meant to live free. Sometimes he healed people physically or he healed them spiritually, but freedom was what, why he came. He said, you know, the truth will make you free. And, and so he's, he's delivering us from sin and the effects of it. Practicing God's presence, Jesus walked and he talked with God constantly. It wasn't just a morning ritual. 
He taught us to engage our neighbor, to, to what does it mean to go after those far from God. Tonight we're going to be talking about how do we go after those far from God. To, Jesus found a tribe, a band of people, and he also put the kingdom first no matter what. So today we're going to talk specifically about living free, living free. And what, we're going to talk specifically about temptation. All right, because we all face it. Jesus faced temptation and he, he found freedom from it. So we're going to look at some of those nuances this morning. So I'm calling this the truth about temptation because we're going to revert back to the truth of the matter often here as we looked at how he defeated it. So if you've got your Bible open to Luke 4, here we go. Jesus, uh, has, he's just been baptized a few days or in the season before. I don't think it's been long from his baptism to his temptation. Could have been the very next day, but it wasn't long after he was baptized. And it says, Jesus, Luke chapter 4, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And he was being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, well, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered the devil, and he said, it's written that man shall not live on bread alone. And so the devil led him up, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all of this domain and its glory in other words, I'll make you a, a famous rock star beyond your imagination. For it's been handed over to me, and I'll give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it'll be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And it says that the devil in verse 9 led him to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God... Throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Now, let me tell you. There's a lot of talk out there in theological circles about all the nuances of the ways that Satan tempted Jesus and all the, the methodology and all the ways that he kind of did it, more of the, the, the intricacies of the temptation. I, I want to, and, and, and none of that's wrong. I mean, it's, it's very true. I mean, there, there was some very real things happening theologically here with the way Satan went about it. But let me tell you, one of the things that I think we do a lot of times with Scripture is we have a tendency to overthink things, right? We really do. I mean, I, I heard a preacher not long ago, somebody I really respect, um, talking about preaching through a, a small letter in the New Testament. And this guy had been like camped out in, in uh, 1 Timothy for like a year and a half. And he said, you know, he was saying, I just have a really hard time preaching for a year and a half over a letter that would have taken 10 minutes to read in, in a crowd, you know, sometimes I think we can pick things apart till we're just into minutiae. And I'm not going to do that this morning. What I want to tell you is what, what is actually going on here? What, what's the bigger part of the story? Well, here's actually what's really going on. Jesus was tempted and he beat it. That's what happened. Jesus faced a really dire situation and he came out on the other side, right? 
So what can we learn from that? What, what, can we, what can we actually, how can we inject ourselves into that? And what can we take away from it this morning? So I want to challenge you with something, okay? Now, temptation looks different for all of us. The things that tempt you do not tempt me. But I have learned, and I'm not saying this happens all the time, but I have learned that many times when I'm tempted, it's not the first time. It's not the first time I've faced that. It's not the first time that I, I, I've, I've seen that. In fact, I've noticed at times there can be recurring temptations in your life because I've learned that the enemy knows where my weak spots reside. I don't know about you. Some of y'all are looking at me like y'all are way more holy than me. Okay, I'm just going to pre- preach to myself this morning. You know, I need it. Now, the reality is I think a lot of times we, some of you, you don't struggle with sexual sin. And some of you do. Some of you don't study with, you don't struggle with body comparison and self-image. And some of you struggle with it a lot. Some of you don't struggle at all with worry. And some of you, you have to beat it back like a wasp every day of your life. Some of you don't wrestle with anxiety and depression, but some of you, it follows you around like a cloud. And you're always trying to have to work yourself through it. Some of you don't struggle with a critical spirit. And some of you, all you can think about at times is what you're not getting and how it's not going your way and you speak negativity. You know, we all struggle. So here's what I want you to do this morning. If you do this, I want you to, I want you to think, if you, if you, can we pretend? Can we go back to like second grade? Hey, pretend. Hey, y'all pretend like, right? When I played wiffle ball as a kid, we had ghost runners. Anybody ever have ghost runners? Yeah, play kickball. No, 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 all right. None of y'all ever had any fun, did you? Y'all just, I can tell. Y'all just never played kickball on the playground. You just did. Okay, for all of us cool people, here's what happened, all right? If, if you didn't have enough people to play wiffle ball, you and your buddy, you had ghost runners, and you had to remember where they were, right? Right? Then you got in arguments. I, I could do a whole sermon on ghost runners, I think. So I want you to pretend for a minute that whatever I'm talking about today is your thing. It's your thing that you struggle with. And let's just put that into this sermon for a minute, okay? Because here's, here's what I know. You, listen to me, Christian friend. You are not helpless. You are not helpless over this. I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. In fact, I want you to read it with me together. It's out of Ephesians. And we're going to do something we don't often do as a congregation. We've been reading the whole Bible. Uh, I loved this morning, Tommy. Tommy's been fighting through bad eyesight problems, and he just still fought through it. Man, I love you for that, Tommy. We're going to read this together as a congregation. Here we go. Ready? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's a true verse. That's the word of God for the people of God. And we believe it. We're going to keep saying it. We believe it. Here we go, right? I'm going to give you some truths about temptation. Number one, you are never void of the Spirit's power when you face temptation. You're never void. You're never absent. 
There's never a time when you're left to face it alone. If you notice something about Luke chapter 4 that you just read, did you notice there was never a time where Jesus was in this intense battle by himself? See, I have people that say to me all the time, and they say it complimentary. I haven't had anybody ever say it to me negatively, but I've heard many people right here at Clearview say, boy, you talk about the Holy Spirit more than any pastor I've ever been around. Yeah, I sure do. You know why? He's the only part of the Trinity on the earth. You ever thought about that? He's the only part of the Trinity on the earth. And so here's what I I think, I don't think, I know, here's what the devil did. The Holy Spirit is the power engine to all of us. You just read it in Ephesians. He's the power engine. And somehow the devil has taught us to be somewhat skeptical. of How brilliant is that? It is brilliant to teach Christians to doubt the very battery that starts the car. Oh, I don't know if it's going to start today. Can you imagine what's going to happen? No, you've got the Holy Spirit. God, Spirit, Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, resurrected Jesus living inside of you. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah. So there's never time that you're void of that. And I don't want you to ever forget it. See, the whole point of temptation is that Jesus was being led away from God. That's the whole root of temptation. It's not the glitter of the thing. Your thing, whatever it is, that's not what he's after. What he's after is to drive a wedge between you and the God that made you. But in those battles, you never have to worry about whether or not the Spirit is there with you. He's with you the entire time. In fact, Jesus said it in John 14. Look at what Jesus said in John 14, 6. There's a whole discourse about the the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, that's just every other, any any old average Joe, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides. Now, you ready for these two words? With you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Friends, that should make you feel really good this morning. He abides with you and in you. With this way and in this way. You have the power of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Christ. So you're never absent from that. So let's, let's give you another truth this morning. Number two, you never have to argue with demonic powers. You don't. I told you we're not getting into all the theological ramifications about Jesus and all the different ways the devil went into it. I'm talking with you about tomorrow morning when you're on a sales call and somebody's being an incredibly non-anointed human. Okay, you have the ability, right? You, I, that's my goal. See, my goal as a preacher is not to make you Bible smart. My goal is you, you can read way better theologians than me. I, I, I read way better theologians than me. I'm not up here to make you Bible smart. I'm up here to keep you alive. I'm up here to help you get through that sales call. I'm up here to help you when you want to absolutely take your two hands that God made and put them around your child's neck and squeeze the life right out of that bossy teenage daughter that's calling you all kinds of stuff. Don't kill her. That's not holy, right? may feel good, but it's not holy, right? Yeah, when you look at your husband and you're like, I'm going to slap you in Jesus' name, right? No. 
That's not holy either, right, Michelle? Amen. That's right. No. No, what we're talking about here is survival. How do we get from point A to point B? That's what I want to help you do. So I want you to notice something about what, remember I told you, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. First of all, he was never absent from the spirit. But number two, did you notice he never argued with the devil? He didn't. He put him in his place with the truth. He didn't argue with the devil. And here's why does that matter so much? I love what my, my friend Neil, I hadn't talked to Neil in quite a long time, but he's a, he is a, a globally known writer, man. I, he lives right here in Franklin, or at least he has last time I checked with him. I hadn't checked in with him in a while, but he's written all kinds of books. And Neil Anderson was a seminary professor, and man, I just love him. He knows the Word of God, and he, he talks a lot about spiritual forces. And this is, I'm, I've quoted this for you before, but I'm going to quote it again. Uh, Neil said, freedom from spiritual conflicts and bondage is not a power in it's a truth encounter. You see, you don't have to get into an arm wrestling match with the devil. You don't have to get into a wrestling match at all with the devil. Satan, and when Jesus and Satan had that conversation, Jesus never took the bait. He just told him the truth. He just told him the truth. Neil wrote a great book, by the way, called The Bondage Breaker. If you don't have that, I would encourage you to get it. It is a great book. Jesus didn't argue with Satan over the truth. You see, what happens, friend, is, listen to me, truth is on your side. Did you know that? When you face, whatever your thing is, I want you to think about your thing, right? Your thing, whatever your thing. What is it you consistently struggle with this morning? I want you to think about your thing. You don't have to go into a wrestling match with the devil. No, it's a vertical chain of command. I want you to stay with me for a minute. It's a vertical chain of command. Because if the Spirit of God lives in you, you don't owe him anything. You don't, have to, you don't have to get into a boxing match of words and, and thoughts. And You ever notice how good Satan is at carrying you off into la-la land, chasing a thought, chasing something in your mind? You don't have to do that. You don't have to play the game. Satan didn't, he, 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 he tried to twist everything about Jesus' life and identity, but Jesus just simply didn't take the bait. When you use truth, and truth is always on your side because the spirit of truth lives in you. John 14 just told you that. Truth brings clarity to a situation. I'm going to unpack that a little more for you in just a second. You see, if you understand something about the Bible, if you notice from Genesis to Revelation, what is this book about? It's about the fact that you, you cannot read the scriptures without understanding a simple principle. That from the dawn of time until the closing of time, it will always be about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. We live in a world where there is light forces and there are dark forces. And so you see this played out right here in Jesus' time, in real time. Temptation is always about getting you to believe a lie. Listen to me, friend. Christians, I need you to listen to me. Temptation is always about getting you to believe a lie. How did sin start in the garden? With a lie. And in order to sin, you must believe a lie. In order, sin starts with a lie. That's where it starts. You have to take the bait. And Jesus didn't take the bait with Satan. He just didn't do it. In the way of Jesus, we're learning that Jesus learned to, to, to navigate this life in, in truth and freedom, and he's teaching us how to do it too. And I think that's why this is in here, because we see the perfect son of God face the same kind of temptation. Can you imagine if somebody said, I'll give you everything you ever wanted, and I've got the ability to do it? It's intoxicating, I would imagine. 
It's intoxicating. It's an overpromise, but an underdeliver. There are strings attached to it. So we have to understand the, the place of truth in the conversation. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against what? The knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, what Satan was doing was he was coming at Jesus with an issue about the mind. I would challenge you, Christian friend, the more I've read the New Testament in my ongoing Christian journey, the more I see so much of it has to do with what you believe in your mind. Why did Paul tell us in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your knees? No. I just see if y'all were awake. You obviously weren't. <laughs> be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you've got the mind of God. When the day you got saved, you didn't get a new brain, but you did get a new mind. You got a new filter, but you got to employ that filter. I'm trying to make a habit every day when I get out of bed. I did it this morning, and I don't always do it. I'm trying to uh, a habit right before I get out of bed. Just tell the Lord, God, today let me see things the way you see them. Let me hear things the way you hear them. Let me believe no lie today about anybody or anything or any situation. I'm trying to pray prayers like that before my feet ever hit the floor. You see, because it's about your mind, and if he can get into your mind, then he can change your behavior. What he was trying to get Jesus to do was get into his head, and if he could get into his head, he could change behavior. Now, I've taught this workshop many times. It's coming up in the month of April, but I want to show you the graphic. You're going to be seeing this at Clearview, Winning the Battle of the Mind. I do a, about an hour and a half workshop. It's the same content every time. If you've ever been to it, it doesn't get better. So, oh, maybe it'll, some, of y'all come, some of y'all come like two or three times. It's, it's, it's like seeing one of your favorite movies. It's good, you know. But, but if you haven't been to it, we're going we're gonna to work through it together. If you, Some of you haven't gone yet. I'm telling you, I have spent a lot of time in my Christian journey learning how to spot lies in my own heart, in my own mind. And I'm going to walk you through in April on a Sunday night. You'll be hearing more about it. It's really simple. Bring a Bible, bring some paper. We're going to sit in this room, and I'm going to walk you through how we can start winning in the battle of the mind because it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. You don't have to argue with these demonic powers. You just got to learn how to out-truth them. Learn how to out-truth the devil. I'll tell you, I'll give you a little practical tip here that helps me a lot when I face situations where I believe the devil is trying to do what he did with Jesus, and that is get me to believe a lie. Often I ask myself, whose voice does this sound like? Whose voice does this sound like? I'll set it up for you. Let's say that you're driving down the road and you're thinking about somebody at work and, and somebody at your job place. And you know what? I think they're out to get me. Where does that go? Oh, then maybe I should not trust them. Yeah, I shouldn't trust them because I think they're out to get me. Well, don't be shocked pretty soon if you begin to find yourself distrusting that person. Maybe they have nothing against you at all. 
But the enemy's trying to drive a wedge between that relationship. And now all of a sudden, in your heart, you're believing a lie. And if you believe a lie in your heart, you'll act it out in real time. Why? Oh, I, I shouldn't like that person. God tells me to love people. Or then you find yourself resenting somebody. Yeah, because what they did was wrong. Well, it was wrong, but now you find yourself in this, in this unforgiving relationship and you, it, this loop gets worse and worse and worse and you have bitterness in your heart. Why? It all started with a thought. It started with a thought life. So you have to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Jesus never, in, he never took the bait here. You got to learn to identify the voice, and he knew the voice. This is not of the Father. The Father told me to worship and worship him only. Why should I worship you? Wait a minute, that's not true. You see how fast that happened? It happens really quick in those moments. You don't have to argue with demonic forces, and you don't have to worry about fighting these battles on your own. I'm going to give you one other truth this morning. These are just super practical ways. You're going to face temptation every day of your life on some level, small, medium, or large. But I, I will tell you this before I get into the third one. I do want you to know you're constantly being set up. You're constantly being set up. You see it all the time in sports. In baseball, you see it with pitchers. It's actually called a set-up pitch. And so what pitchers tend to do is they know you have a weakness, and they're moving you toward a pitch to get you out, but they're setting up. Football, they do it all the time. A true story with Lane Kiffin in Ole Miss. One of his coordinators one time, he, called, he told him to call a play, and he overruled him, and the play went horribly. And he said, he said told you, he said, call me back in three plays. Three plays later, they scored. He was just baiting them to do what he really wanted to do. You see, you're being baited more often than you realize. And you've got to be on the guard for these kind of things. But as you do go into these moments, I do want you to understand something. And I think this is at the core of what we see with temptation. Christians often feel really bad when they're tempted. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can tell you that many of you, I know, feel really guilty about the things that you're tempted over. And I would tell you the third truth, that your identity is not tied to the temptation that you face. Now, that sounds simple, but it is profound in its effects. You're, I don't think you're ever supposed to see temptation as a strange thing. Listen to me, friend. You're living in enemy-occupied territory. You are living in enemy-occupied territory. If, in fact, I would even go so far to say if you're not being tempted frequently over random things, you're probably, the, you're, you're probably already, this is bad grammar, you're probably already got If you don't face inner wars and inner conflicts, Something's wrong. If you find yourself just skating through the Christian life with ease, something's wrong. You, sh you are in enemy-occupied territory, and if you're not feeling that, then I would check my heart and my spirit. I will tell you this, friends. Listen to me. I want to speak some freedom over you this morning. You're not, listen to me closely, you're not a bad Christian because of the things that tempt you. The Bible says in Hebrews that we have a high priest, Jesus, that was tempted in all things but without sin. 
You are not a bad Christian for the things that you are tempted over. All right, and I want to show you something. Your identity, in other words, it, your identity, your Christian makeup, your Christian DNA, it's not a reflection on your Christian DNA by the things that tempt you, right? I want to show you something here about the temptation that Jesus faced, and it's found in his baptism just one chapter before. Now, notice that Jesus was baptized in chapter 3, and it says in verse 21, now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. This is Luke chapter th uh, 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came out of heaven and said, You are my beloved son in you. I mean, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased. It's just a, a roundabout way of saying, I'm proud of you, son. You're my son. Now, I want to ask you something. When Jesus was baptized and the, the voice from heaven spoke favor and blessing and acceptance over him in that verse, and immediately he went to the wilderness, did he all of a sudden stop being that? No. Did, he, did somewhere between the Jordan River and the, the, the trees of the wilderness, did somehow he stop being the Messiah? Did somehow he stop being the, the full embodiment of the heart of God? No. But yet he was tempted to worship someone other than the Father. His identity was never changed by that. Just because you're tempted, it, it's not tied to your identity. Don't, don't, under, don't, don't, think, don't think that it is. The, the devil said, hey, if you're the son of God, prove it. Did you notice what he tempted him over? He was just told hours before, maybe just a few days before, you are my son. A few hours, maybe a few days later, prove it. If you really are him, you could do anything, prove it. Well, he did. He didn't, he didn't take the bait. So I would leave you this morning with saying that you're going to lose. You're going to lose the spiritual battles with temptation. If somehow you've bought into this mentality that you're this wretched, horrible, pathetic sinner crawling through life, getting by on the grace of the enamel of your teeth, see, the Bible says that we are saints. We are called saints. It just means holy ones. When you think of saints, you don't think of you, but that's what God thinks because he's made you holy. He's made you holy. But I want to tell you something, friend. You'll, you'll never win battles over, over, this, over the temptations and whatever you ejected into that blank line a minute ago, whatever, whatever you consistently struggle with, you're never going to win those battles if you only see yourself as this wretched sinner crawling through life. Now, I'm not asking you to be proud and arrogant. I think that's just as worse. Or maybe I mean, it's just as bad. Maybe worse. No, I'm saying that you believe about you 
who God says you are. Did you hear that? That you believe about you who God says you are. And here's what John 1 says. John said he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, listen to me. You're not trying to become a child of God. You are a child of God. Do you hear me? You're not trying to become anything. You're not trying to defeat the devil. Jesus already defeated the devil on your behalf. You're not trying to be loved by God. Oh, if I would just do this, God would love me. If I could stop doing that, God would love me more. You can't be any more loved than you already are. You're not trying. You don't have to try. Your identity is not tied to the things you face in this world. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform. But I would challenge you to look around your world I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.